This is Transforming Truth with the life-changing Word of God that heals, delivers, fills you with the Holy Spirit, all for your supernatural walk in Christ. Stay tuned for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer. And God bless you. This is Reverend Chris Palmer here on the Transforming Truth radio broadcast. I want to thank you for tuning in tonight. I pray you had a wonderful Christmas with your family. I pray that everything went well. And, you know, I used to get blue, you know, during this time when Christmas is over. I'd say, you know, all the decorations in the mall, they're gone and people are winding down. I mean, you still have New Year's, but it was a little bit sad. And uh, so you got to make the most of Christmas. So I pray it was wonderful for you and I'm excited to go in 2014. And I was joking with someone the other day saying that now I'm going to write my checks wrong and going to date everything wrong. It usually takes me till about February to start writing 14 instead of 13. And so, uh, But anyway, we're at that time of the year. It's exciting and the Spirit of God is moving. I want to thank you for tuning in. we got a wonderful year of Transforming Truth broadcasts. Uh, ready for you. The Spirit of God has been ministering to my heart and showing me what He wants me to speak to the broadcast and to the people listening on Saturday nights. Maybe this is your first time tuning into a broadcast and you say, um, what is this young man on the radio preaching? And well, first I just want to tell you that we're an anointed Holy Ghost filled ministry. We believe in miracles, signs and wonders. We believe in the resurrection and the fullness of, of Jesus and the, the power of the Holy Ghost to touch your life. And people who listen to the show and they get saved, they turn their lives to Jesus. We get emails from people, they tell us, I was listening to your show and I was healed of sickness in my body. So if you're tuning in tonight, maybe you're somebody that is in the hospital, maybe you're driving home uh, or going out somewhere and you need a touch from God in your body, you need healing. I want to pray for you tonight, I believe, I feel the anointing of God and I believe God wants to heal your body. And so you just, the, Jesus would say many times after he healed somebody, according to your faith, be it unto you. And so if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he's a good God, he is a wonderful, he's good, he's all good. The Bible says in Romans 2.16, he's not a respecter of persons, he doesn't play favorites, he loves you, friend. And he wants to heal you and he wants to touch you and he wants to deliver you tonight. So stay tuned in and maybe you feel guilt. I've sensed by the Spirit tonight, right now, somebody you're driving in your car, you feel guilt on your life. You feel that you can't shake it. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that he commanded his love, Jesus, to you so that you could be free. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he uh, emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men so that he could die a bloody death on the cross so that you could go free of that guilt tonight, friend. And so you don't need to carry that. And, you know, there's somebody, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm talking right now. You're a female, and you had an abortion, and you feel guilty about that. And I want you to know that I believe, I believe, your child is, a, is in heaven with Jesus right now. And God wants you to forgive yourself. Uh, you know, the Lord gave me a powerful revelation one time. He told me that, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, he was the one that stoned Stephen. And he was the one actually that approved of Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen died right there by the feet of Paul. Well, then after that, two chapters later, the apostle Paul got converted and he came to Jesus. Now, how do you think people felt that the person that condemned Stephen to death was now preaching the same Jesus that Stephen preached? 
And the Lord was showing me that through the love of God, that as the love transformed Paul's heart and the power of the love of God, that the very first person that met the Apostle Paul when he went to heaven, I believe with all my heart, was Stephen. And I believe that's the testimony to the power of the love of Jesus and the love of Christ. And so I believe that uh, with your child with Jesus, that you... um, don't walk around with your guilt because if you turn yourself over to the Lord and you allow the Lord to work in your heart, I believe you'll see your child one day. And there'll be a day where God wipes away all the tears from our eyes. And I believe, friend, that he has a future and a plan and a calling and an election, a purpose, a destiny for your life. And he doesn't want the enemy to spoil that with guilt. So I break the power of that guilt off your life. And I call you free tonight, sister and daughter, in the name of Jesus. Uh, you know, I want to say before we get started tonight, thank you for tuning in. I'm very um, thankful for my partners, people that listen to the broadcast, and people that partner with us financially. We have a new website now. You go to www.chrispalmerministries.com, and you can tune in. Or if you are living in Italy, you can go to chrispalmer.it. Um, also... We want to let you know that if it's your desire to partner with the Transforming Truth broadcast, you can do that online, or you can write to us, P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390, and be a partner with the Transforming Truth broadcast. Let me just say this before we get into what God had me prepare uh, for this evening, is that uh, we're doing a lot of things in the ministry. Uh, We're getting busier. More demands are being placed upon the ministry. Uh, and we need your help and we need your support. Uh, we now have an international reach and we're continuing our expanse in Europe. And so we ask for your help financially. We ask for your prayers. Uh, and we want to touch the people over there in Europe. Europe is in need of awakening. They're in need of the Word of Christ. They don't necessarily have it quite like we have it here in the United States. Though they have money, I would say that the spiritual aspect of of the power of God over there is not as great as it is over here. Europe's a little more secular, and their government's a little more secular, and they allow less from the Christians. And so we want to reach Europe, and we need your help to do it. And so we want to bring the broadcast over there. We want to bring our books, our materials as a ministry over there. And so we ask for your support. We ask for your financial help. And we're going to be doing more to raise that in 2014, and we need your help. And so we thank you for those that give it. Uh, also, we have a, uh, a podcast. Uh, you could go to On the Road with Chris Palmer, and you can check that out in iTunes. Um, or you can check out my book, uh, The Believer's Journey, God's Path of Transformation, which is available on Amazon. And the first volume of that was just translated in Italian, and we'll be putting it in other languages uh, over there in Europe. And we want to put it in French. We want to put it in Spanish. So we need your help. Okay, let me pray tonight. We'll get into what God has for us. I'm excited about what he has to share. Father, I bless you. I thank you. You're wonderful, and I pray tonight that your power would be here in this broadcast. I pray you give to me an anointing to minister your word to those that are listening tonight. In the name of Jesus, Father, I take authority over every spirit of condemnation, every spirit of suicide, every thought, Father, that is condemning people right now, anything that tries to steal away and the liberty that is in Christ Jesus, I bind it and take authority over it. Father, I need your anointing to speak your words tonight. So I ask you for it, precious Holy Spirit. I pray that you connect me to my audience, uh, even though I cannot see them. And I pray that they receive what is on my life, the anointing that you've placed. 
And I give you the glory and I give you the honor and I give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the city of Detroit, Michigan. And we pray where this broadcast reaches, Father, that you bring revival, that you bring refreshing, that you bring a new touch of your spirit. I pray that you awaken the hearts of sleeping leaders, Father, that are in this area. Pray, Father, that people would be touched by the power of God. I pray they'd be touched by a wave of revival and reformation. And I pray you refresh pastors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as I told you a couple weeks ago, the Spirit of God uh, told me to leave you with, while I was in Italy, a new series that I wanted to start on the broadcast. And that is on what I'm going to call now the secrets of life. And there are many people that are looking to find a secret in life. They say, what is it that uh, God has prepared? What are his ongoing purposes? And um, the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we heard, lest any time we let them slip. And this refers to partly the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, in his teachings, taught things that many times people, they read them and they go over those things. Have you ever read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and thought to yourself, I don't understand what Jesus is talking about. I remember one celebrity, they went to prison for a while. And it was said of them while they are in prison that they were going to can go through the Bible. And I thought, I wonder how much of the word of God they're going to understand. I wonder how much of the scripture they're going to allow into their heart. And so there's parts of the gospels that if you start reading... Uh, it takes some study and it takes some effort to understand what God's saying, even if you have the Holy Spirit. I say this about the Holy Spirit many times, that the Holy Ghost does not replace your meditation. He assists your meditation. That means sometimes in your meditation it's going to require you to study. It's going to require you to uh, look even into history and dig where you know to find out answers to what Jesus is teaching. You can't be lazy as a person that handles the Word of God. A lot of bad doctrine comes because people are lazy. A lot of confusion. God's not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 9. Happens because people approach the Word of God with a lazy, half-minded manner. We don't believe that here at Transforming Truth. We want to come at it at an at a, a, a approach where the Word of God is sharp, it's precise, it's to the point, and you get what it's saying. And so the Lord told me, when I was reading through the book of Matthew one day, I got to Matthew chapter 13, and he told me to begin to teach about the parables that Jesus taught in Matthew 13. Now I want to say this tonight, that these are some of the greatest truths that are found in the Word of God. These are the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus, being the master teacher that he was, as I shared on my broadcast not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, was... He took his teachings and he put them into parables. Uh, and when he put those teachings into parables, he hid them away so that some people could receive them and some people couldn't receive them. You say, well, why would he want to do that? Well, you'll find out that Jesus wasn't into giving away everything that he gave uh, simply because he wanted to know the state and the condition of a person's heart. Any teacher will tell you that. When they are teaching, they want students that are paying attention. Otherwise, they can't give everything that they have to that student successfully. And so many times people came to see Jesus and their hearts were not in the right place. They were trying to find something secret about Jesus' teaching to condemn them. And so Jesus put his teachings in parables and allowed them to remain in a mystery form 
and allowed people to seek out the Holy Ghost so the Holy Spirit could unravel these mysteries for them. And so I want to show you uh, another parable tonight. We began talking about the sower and the seed two weeks ago when I talked about the sower sows the word. And just as a passing review, the whole lesson of the sower and the seed, many times people say it's about money. Many times people say it's about all sorts of things. But what it really is about primarily, the way the, the reason Jesus taught about this, is Jesus wasn't talking about money when he got to this part in Scripture. Jesus had just been rejected by the Jewish leaders. He had just been condemned for plucking the corn and healing the man with the withered arm. And they were coming at him with the leaven of Herod. Now let me say the leaven of Herod that he's talking about here refers to people that are obsessed and in love with only their interpretation of Scripture. And not God's interpretation of Scripture. And not what the Holy Ghost wants to reveal. And Jesus told his disciples, beware of the leaven, excuse me, of the Pharisees. And they thought that he was angry at them because they hadn't taken bread. And Jesus says, no, I'm not angry at you that you didn't take bread. He was saying, beware of those that are hypocrites. People that go and they speak for God, but their heart is far from me. And so Jesus began to teach these parables after he was rejected. The first thing that he talked about was the seed and the sower. And he talked about four different types of ground, which represents the states of four people's hearts. And... After Jesus taught this parable, let me just review this parable because it's been just a couple of weeks since we start, we're talking about the parable. He talked about the parable of the sower. He talked about how there was good ground, there was thorny ground, there was rocky ground, and then there was wayward ground where the birds of the air came and took that up. Now that just determines where your heart is. You say many people say, why is it that I don't receive the word of God? Why is it that, you know... I hear the word, I'm not interested. Or why is a person not interested in the word? Or why is it that the, many of the answers as to why people are where they are is because of the state of their heart. And the very first thing that Jesus wanted to deal with when he started speaking mystery parables of the kingdom was where a person's heart is at. And so many people came to hear Jesus and Jesus was simply saying that they're going to receive and the word's going to produce for them not as a result of what the Word has, because every seed produces after its kind. The Word of God will produce, and it will produce more or less not based on itself. It never changes. What it will produce is based upon a person's heart. So one person can hear the, the words of Christ and the Word of the Kingdom, and it do tremendous things for them. Then there could be another person who hears it and it does nothing for them. You say, well, maybe God didn't want that person to receive. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the state of a person's heart. So the very first thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to do was to get their heart in place. And so this was the first parable of Jesus. And this was a parable that had to do with the seed of the word of Christ. And it's a seed parable. And this parable had to do with the word of Christ. Now the thing that Jesus did was he progressed continually as he taught the parables. And he never moved away. He stayed on the same line. A lot of times people think that Jesus was just a random teacher. That he was out there just teaching off the cuff. Teaching off the hip. But such is not the case with Jesus. Jesus was very systematic in the way that he taught. And that's why in the next parable, what I'm going to talk about tonight, this is called the parable of the tares and the wheat. And I want to read this 
and I want you to listen because it's going to teach you a very powerful principle, and that is that there is good and evil in the world. And good and evil exist together, and even though good and evil exist together, there will come a time in the near future where good and evil is separated. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 13, verse number 24 for you tonight. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now we see here in Matthew 13, verse 24, that there's a man and he's sowing and he's sowing seed. This is similar to the first parable. It says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto them, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Why then does it have tares in it? And he said unto them, Well, an enemy has come and done this. And the servants said, Well, do you desire that we get up and pull the tares out? And he says, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. He said, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this is the parable of the tares and the wheat. And you say, well, what is that supposed to mean? Well, I want to discuss tonight good and evil. Good and evil is one of the very great secrets of life. Have you noticed that there are good people in a world full of evil? And a lot of times for good people, bad things happen. And for bad people, good things happen. See, uh, I remember one time I was uh, with somebody and they were talking about, you know, Chris, you think too much in terms of black and white. Why don't you think in terms of gray? And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you see this is good and you see this is bad. I look at everything as a gray, a gray, a gray area. And you know what this is? I call this being blurry lined. Uh, blurred line simply means that you like to skew the line of right and wrong and do your best to not just remove it but do away with it and keep people guessing where you think the line of right and wrong is. Today, we desire, um, or people that desire to be blurred line teachers like to keep parties on each side happy. And while, you know, it's not good to rub truth into people's face, you know, the Bible says that we're the salt of the earth. And, you know, salt on its own is tasty, And it, but if you take that salt and you start rubbing it in people's face, What's going to happen is it's going to begin to sting and it's going to begin to burn. You can present truth for itself and allow truth to work on its own. You don't have to take truth a lot of times and stick it in people's face and rub it in. All you have to do is be the salt of the earth and people will notice your saltiness and your savior. You don't have to rub it in all the time. But what you don't do is you don't deny the fact that you're salt. There's a lot of times people say, well, you know, I don't know if that's right, I don't know if that's wrong. Well, the Bible clearly defines that there's right and there's wrong, that there's good, and that there's evil. It talks about all sorts of sins, all sorts of things that are ungodly, all sorts of things that are wicked, and then it also talks about things that are righteous. These are not matters of being a blurred line. 
You know, I remember when I was a young man, one thing I liked to do is our teacher would give us spelling tests. And there would be times where I didn't know how to spell a certain word. I didn't know. Maybe it would be the word receive. I didn't know I before E except for C. And I wouldn't remember a rule like that. And so I would try and get away with something. And I would write the letters very softly in pencil. And then I would smear them. So the teacher couldn't tell what I was trying to write. This is blurring the lines so people don't understand what you mean. And I like to say that when you blur the lines between right and wrong, you might go over to an area where some people think that it's black, and you smear the lines so that it looks black, but the same people think that it's white, and you smear the lines so people think you think white. This is hypocrisy. It's a form of manipulation, and it makes yourself, uh, you do it because you want to seem likable, and you want to seem correct. Doing this simply is for self-gain. And that because the term blurred line simply means to in, just, just make something or render it indistinguishable. Unable to tell. And so I was not raised as a young man to be a blurred line person because the Bible isn't. The Bible is very clear. I was taught by my parents and by the word of God and by my pastor that there is still today in this world right and wrong. And, you know, I was on Twitter one time and I made a comment about that. And somebody who was very liberal in their thinking, and I don't mean politically liberal, I mean morally liberal. They want everything to be okay and accepted. They believe in tolerance. They sent me a comment and they said, well, that's original. Well, I'm not trying to be original. I don't need to be always original. As a matter of fact, it is original. It goes all the way back to the Word of God. And they made a smart comment about that. Well, I'm not trying to impress people. I believe what I believe because I believe the Word of God. And so when we consider that there's good and evil in the world, what did Jesus say about good and evil? Today, popular teachers don't deny everything that Jesus said about the existence of good and evil. But are their disciples as aware of the aspects of good and evil as the disciples of Christ are? Uh, what Jesus said concerning good and evil wasn't always feel good it wasn't something that always made people walk away saying oh i feel good about myself i feel like i'm going to go out there and win the day it made people think deeply it convicted people and made them look at their hearts it made them look at their motives and it made them examine their lifestyle and the greatest teachings of jesus what they have with them our edification, but at the same time, a powerful word of caution. You know, the Bible says that whom God loveth, he chastises. The word there, chastise, in the Greek, comes from the same stem where you get the word child from. That means children go hand in hand with chastisement. It means you should spank your children, parents. So I don't believe in spanking my kids. The Bible teaches it. You don't want to spank your kids because you don't want to hurt them. But if you don't spank your kids, you're going to end up having kids that in return will hurt you later on in the future because you fail to discipline them and let them know how you feel about evil. Because evil exists. Now listen. The parable of the wheat and the tares sums up the existence of good and evil as they exist. And here's the key word. Together. That's right. Good and evil coexist in this world and people say well that's just so good isn't that wonderful we can all get along well no that's not the way jesus looked at it he didn't deny that it exists together but he said that he's going to do something about it eventually all great teachers give their ideas 
concerning the mingling of good and the mingling of evil, but Jesus is, is the original and it is the finest. What exactly did Jesus want to point out about the parable of the tares and the sower? He just simply told a parable and brought forth great truth, and it's one of the secrets of life. You say, what do you mean it's one of the secrets of life? Well, you, if you can understand, see, you, you say, why is it so deep? It is, it's not a deep idea. But can you imagine if we could get 20 or 30 million people in America to believe that good and evil exist? Like I said, today people are not thinking in black and white. Good and evil. Light and darkness. They're thinking in terms of gray. Are you happy with it? Yeah. Well then, if that's what makes you happy. That kind of thinking breaks down though. Once what makes you happy starts to hurt other people. Then you have to adjust it. But they, to be consistent with themselves, won't adjust things like this. You say, why, why do we... People that are constantly tolerating certain actions... They fail to take that action all the way to the extreme and stretch it out and to see how it, in the long run, affects other people. People today say, well, we shouldn't condemn people for their behavior. We shouldn't condemn them or judge them for their actions. Well, wait a second. Is it going to affect me in the long run? They say no, but they haven't thought long term. A lot of times, many actions that people are taking today that the government is starting to allow, many actions that people are doing... Uh, affect our society and will affect you and will affect your kids in the near future. And they already have started doing that. But we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus talked about tares and wheat and they're going to exist together. Now this parable is something that Jesus, which was just like the first parable, the parable of the sower and the seed, this parable, Jesus actually interprets it for us. And let me give you the interpretation of Jesus before we start to go through it. And I want to say tonight that if you are listening and you get to a place where you say, well, I'm on this side, well, I'm on this side. You know, if you're in evil and you want to come out of evil, God can deliver you. He can save you. He can set you free. And you can come over on the side of good and be totally delivered from any evil that has you wrapped up, any evil that has you tied up. God wants to deliver you and he wants to set you free. Let me read this tonight. It says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came to him, and he declared, and they said, Jesus, declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. And he answered, and he said unto them, He that sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Jesus was a preacher that believed in the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, and therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend them that do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the Son of Righteousness shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So let me show you that the way that you interpret parables in the scripture, you say, well, Brother Palmer, are you going to talk about deliverance? Are you going to talk about miracles? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that, but I want you to get a hold 
of these teachings by Jesus because they're some of the most powerful teachings on the supernatural, some of the most powerful teachings on how the kingdom of God operates. People get involved in the power of God, but they don't mature because they don't come to an understanding of what Jesus taught. What are the things that he believed, things that the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth taught? Well, the first thing that Jesus says about this parable is he mentions the sower, and he says, He that sows good seed is the Son of Man. So the very first thing and aspect of this parable is that we see that the sower is Jesus. Just as God sowed Israel, and just as God sowed Judah among the nations of the earth, so Jesus sowed the church among the nations. That Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 27. And so Jesus is called in this scripture the householder and the owner of the field. And so understand that when you look at the church and you look at the, the existence of things, that the person that laid the groundwork, that laid the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus. And I know when I say church, I'm not talking about Sunday morning service. You say, well, Jesus laid down my church. My church is boring. Or I don't like going to church. I wish we had new. Nah, nah, nah. I don't mean your church on a Sunday morning service. What I'm talking about is I mean the church of the living God, the very body of Christ of whom Christ is the head on a grand scale. This is the cloud of witnesses. According to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says that seeing then that we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets and let us uh, run with uh, quickness, as one version says, the race that is marked out for us. So I'm talking about the whole body of witnesses who are growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and kept holy and sanctified and preserved by the Holy Ghost. And so the church is not the problem because the church is the handiwork of Jesus and he makes no mistakes. When you see blemishes, when you see imperfection inside of the body of Christ, which is another parable, we'll see that later on, you'll discover that it's not the handiwork of Jesus. Jesus sold the church and he didn't make a mistake with it. I get so tired many times of hearing people bash the church. It's not the problem. The church is not the issue. It's the handiwork of God. We'll see what the issue is. But it's not the church. You say, well, I don't want I'm tired of church. The church hurt me. No, 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 no. Church didn't hurt you. Somebody that failed to get conformed and transformed by the power that's in the church, they hurt you. The reason why they hurt you is because they didn't conform to the body of Christ. The reason why they hurt you is because they weren't allowing the word of Christ, which brought up the church, to transform their life. So you're running farther away you're run to the problem. You want to run to the problem. That's the church. When you run away from the problem, you're getting closer and closer away from the answer. And so the next thing that you'll see is that there's wheat. You say, well, who's the wheat? Well, it says here that the wheat is the children of the kingdom. So in the first parable, when we talked about the parable of the sower, sows the word, you see that the, it says the sower sows the word. This is the word of the kingdom. In this parable, the seed represents the children of the kingdom. It's not the word of the kingdom anymore. It has grown up and it has become the children of the kingdom. So in the first parable, you receive the seed. In this parable, the children of the kingdom have become the seed. You know, when the word of God is planted into your heart, person, 
you hear the Transforming Truth broadcast Saturday night. You go to church on Sunday morning. You go to church on Wednesday morning, and you hear the Word of Christ. The seed is supposed to begin to get in your heart and make something out of you. You say, God, when are you going to make something out of me? God says, when are you going to put the Word of God into your life and become something? Because everything in the kingdom starts off with a seed. It doesn't happen right away, but that's how the very first parables of Jesus begin. With a seed. And so, in the first parable, you receive the seed. In this parable, you become the seed. And so, true believers. Now, you're going to see it just a second. There, there's a difference between true believers and people that say they're believers. You say, how can you make the judgment? I'm not making the judgment. I'm not the one suggesting it. But you're going to see that in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of heaven, that there are people that are really blood-bought, born again, following Jesus. The seed of Christ has been produced in their heart. They've grown up and become tares. They're mature believers. And then there are just people that profess it, but have not allowed the word of Christ to get in their heart and change them. And this is what the parable is about. Those two exist together and will continue to exist together until the day of separation. So true believers are the ones who have actually received the word of the kingdom into their hearts and have become the seed. You say, how do you know that I'm born again? John says, those were they that came in among us and went out because they were never from us. So it's possible people in the kingdom of God, they come into church, they fellowship with believers, but they leave, and they were never to begin with changed by the word of God. So, listen, it's impossible to receive seed and it not produce after its kind. Whatever is being produced in our heart will indicate to us what seed has been received. You say, well, how do I know what seed I'm of? Well, what's being produced in your heart? You know, when you get born again, something changes in your life. You could have been the most dirty, downright filthy sinner. You could be on death row, convicted of third degree murder. Maybe you're in a prison listening to this tonight. But when the word of God gets in your heart, it will change you. And even though you will maybe have to go and carry out and serve the rest of your time in prison, you're just not the same man that did that because guess what? A new seed has been put in your heart and you're living life free from the bad seed, the old seed that you used to be a part of. God has uprooted it. He's planted new ground in your life. And you say, well, I'm convicted and I'm doing 80 years plus time. Well, that's the, you're, you're paying the time for the old man, but you're somebody new inside. And God set you free from that. Then the next aspect is the field. In the field, Jesus says in verse number 24 and verse number 38 is the world. And you'll see that there's several fields that we're going to encounter as we go through these parables. And the field always refers to the world. So we have right here Jesus. He comes along. He takes the seed, which is the word of or the children of the kingdom. He sows it into the world. And so because of Jesus and because of his ministry that he started, you now have believers inside of the world. You have believers in Italy. You have believers in the United States. You have believers in Australia. You have believers in Russia. You have believers just about everywhere you go. That's because of the ministry of Jesus. He is the one that started it. But then the Bible says something interesting. It says that the sleeping watchman or the watchman fell asleep. You see, in Bible times, when somebody had a field it was common for householders to employ watchmen to guard their fields at night and 
to keep enemies out. And isn't it interesting that the householder who is Jesus had appointed watchmen to watch over the good seed that has been sown into the world. Well, what do you? What could this possibly be, brother Palmer? What are these? What are these watchmen that are falling asleep? According to verse number twenty-five, where it says, "But while men slept, these are later called the watchmen, people that the servants that should have been looking." Well, the Bible says that he has appointed some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? The perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. There's also overseers, episcopos in the Greek. There's also uh, which uh, deacons? It's uh, Dionikos, Dionika, I believe is the right Greek word for that. And then, of course, you have ruling elders, which is presbytos. In the Greek, these are people that are given to watch over the seed to make sure that it grows up. And you're going to see when we come back from break in just a second that in the course of the kingdom of heaven, they fall asleep and the enemy comes in. So don't tune out. This guy has a good ending to it. I want you to come back. We're going to go to a song. going to go to a break. I wish I had a Christmas song for you, but, you know, Christmas is over. So when we get back, we'll have more about the parable of the tares and the wheat. We'll be right back after this. But why, oh why Wide awake in the middle of your nightmare It's all coming but it hits you out of nowhere
we're back here on the Transforming Truth broadcast. God bless you. We're talking tonight about the parable of the tares and the wheat, the existence of good and the existence of evil in the world, how they coexist together. We're talking about now the watchman that fell asleep. And what I said was is that Jesus, or the householder, he appointed watchmen to be sure and to watch over the good seed that was sown in the field. But it says in verse number 25 that the householder's watchmen, they fall asleep. Sleep is an indication in Scripture of laziness, unwatchfulness, and indifference. You know, sleep's a good thing. I enjoy sleeping. I like to try and get eight hours a night. But when you sleep at the wrong time, it becomes a bad thing. When the purpose of sleep gets mixed up, then it becomes a curse. Anything that God created to be good, when the purpose of it gets mixed up, it becomes bad. You take sex. God created sex so that man and woman can be intimate when they become married uh, and he also created of course for offspring but when people pervert the purpose of sex then you have babies that are born out of wedlock and then it makes it difficult more difficult for them to grow up you take sex and you, it turns into a lot of heartbreak a lot, you know what I'm talking about and then of course you have uh, drinking wine taken to the excess people get drunk eating taken to the excess people become overeaters and their and their health goes berserk and the same thing is with sleeping there's examples in the scripture of people that need awakening from sleeping you have peter james and john on the mount of transfiguration they fell asleep then you have the same peter james and john in the garden of gethsemane and jesus is in his most trying hour they fall asleep and then it says in romans chapter 13 verse 11 and 12 that it is high time now to wake out of sleep and Roman, excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter five, one through ten, says that we're not to sleep in the night. We're not those that sleep in the night. And in Matthew chapter twenty-five, the parable of the foolish virgins talks about five foolish virgins that fell asleep when the bridegroom came, and because of that, they had no oil to light their lamps. And so, sleep in five examples in Scripture is considered a bad thing. And so. The watchmen in this parable were appointed by the household of the householder who is Jesus, and these represent the ministry offices. And so Jesus is teaching here in this one little point that the ministry offices that he appoints there's gonna come a time where or not just a time, but in several instances he wasn't surprised that they fell into lethargy, slumber, indifference, prayerlessness. And because of this, the enemy comes. Listen, friend, I'm going to say this, and I tweeted this today, that if your spiritual life that you have is, is subpar or even par, it's not producing. If you're a pastor listening to this and you see that your church and your congregation is not getting answers to prayer, nobody in your congregation has a praise report to share, this is lethargy. This is uh, 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 unusefulness. This is slumber. You have to wake up out of this. You have to keep your prayer life powerful. You have to keep your prayer life sharp. You have to keep your uh, spiritual life intact. You go on fast. You go on watchings, all night prayers. You stay up. You say, "Well, brother, we have grace." And I, yeah, I thank God for grace, and I thank God that everything that we have is a result of God's initiative through Christ Jesus to reinstate us out of His own initiative when we were sinners to give it to us. But at the same time. There is a responsibility on our part to respond to that grace with our faith and with the things that he told us to do that would sharpen us. 
Because even though you have all the grace, you still have a flesh body that needs to be put under daily. Needs to die daily. And so when people neglect these things, what happens is the enemy comes in and starts sowing seed. Let's not just look at it as the whole church. Look at it in your own life personally. Start neglecting certain things. As someone who's been given a steward over your own life, the enemy will come in and you'll begin to corrupt. Here's some things that cause spiritual lethargy. Trying to look like the world. Negating spiritual things for carnal things. Lack of fervent prayer. Lack of the supernatural. Error in the watchman, which means selfishness, pride, ego, ambition. These were things that will put the church to sleep. And I'll say this about fervent prayer. I thank God we pray in tongues. I thank the Lord I have a prayer language, but that does not substitute the fact that there needs to be times where you get in your closet and you start crying out to God, and you pray with fervency, and you pray with power. You say, can I pray fervently without yelling? Yes. Praying fervently simply means connecting to the Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, there's times when I go through seasons of prayer where I just can't connect with the Spirit when I'm in prayer. I'm praying, but I'm not connecting. I may pray one night, I prayed four hours, never made a connection with the Holy Ghost. A lot of this time is the indication to me that there is breakthrough on the other side. I may go on a fast. I may spend more time in prayer. Whatever I have to do to make that connection with God so the fervency can be there. But people give up too quick. And as a result, the enemy comes in. i got to speed up quickly. The enemy's sower represents Satan in the kingdom of darkness. Satan has several tactics and maneuvers that he wants to manipulate the church with. In the first parable, he was catching away the seed out of the people's hearts. In this parable, you'll see that this was, uh, in the first parable, seen with the birds of the air, which were demonic spirits that began to took advantage of people's hearts and began to steal the word. But in this parable, he does quite the opposite. In this parable, he doesn't try to steal the seed, as he did in the last parable. He doesn't try to take the word. He lets you have the word. He comes in and he begins to... To plant his own. The old saying's true. If you can't beat him, join him. If you can't destroy him from the outside, corrupt him from the inside. And so Satan and his ministers, the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse fourteen and fifty, they transform themselves into an angel of light. You know, I want to stop and say this about this right here is that the voice here is used in the middle, meaning they themselves transform themselves into an angel of light. Let me show you what I mean. I know I, uh, Spirit of God told me after I authored my first book to continue in my studies and to um, take Greek, and there are things in the Greek that he wanted me to see that I wasn't getting in the English. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you. It says here in Second Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number 14, and, and don't marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Well, in the, in, in, in the Greek, there are two different voices. There's an active voice, there's a middle voice. Active voice means someone, the subject, is doing an action to the direct object. But the middle voice simply means that the subject is doing the action to themselves. Uh, for instance, in the middle voice would be, I stand up. Well, I'm doing that action to myself. I'm eating. I myself am eating. 
the actions being done myself. This here is saying that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That God doesn't transform him. The devil doesn't transform him. Who transforms Satan? He transforms himself into an angel of light. And as a result, it says in verse 14, uh, in verse 15, Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also transformed, it should say in the, in the English, be transformed of themselves as ministers of righteousness. So they do it themselves. Out of their own volition, out of their own desire, they're the ones that do the transforming. And so, this is one of his tactics that he has. I'll say this. When the body of Christ and ministers as a whole become lethargic, and they don't do what's necessary in the arena of prayer, this kind of transformation goes unchecked. One of the greatest problems that we have, I know that this parable is talking about uh, the world as a whole and the kingdom of heaven as a whole, but we can narrow it down in scope and talk about ourselves or our congregations. Many congregations are out there today. They used to be on fire. They used to have the move of God. You say, well, we have the word. It's good that you have the word, but don't get away from the fact that you need the move of God. You say, why do we need the move of God? Because if something is not moving, it is dead. And many churches don't have the move of God because they have fallen in love with just the letter. You know, this is what happened in the, in, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Is they had the letter of Moses and they worshipped the letter of Moses. And in doing that, they missed Jesus when he came. And they were in love with their own interpretation of the letter. They felt that the letter was supreme. They felt that the Torah, there was nothing higher. But isn't it interesting? People that had such a respect for the scrolls had no respect for Jesus or no regard for the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of religion. And the enemy will come in and he'll get people to do that. And he'll see to it that they see themselves right in their own eyes. Um, and so we got to be careful. And when you stay in prayer, you stay fervent in prayer, you stay powerful in prayer, you stay prayed up, you'll see that these things are not easy to happen. The enemy can't just come in as easily. See, he would never have been able to come in and so tears amongst the people had not the watchman fell asleep yeah you look at your family and you say why is my family why is there so much trouble going on in my family well friend do you maintain a regular prayer life with your wife well i don't like to pray with my wife well that's why you're having problems and hardships are you not the spiritual head of your home well you know well you say, well, we're having financial trouble. Have you and your wife been tithing? Have you and your wife been giving to the kingdom of God? Let me read to you Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So it's unbecoming of a believer to fall asleep. You have to shake that dust off your face, friend. That sleep that gets in your eyes. You know, it's not uh, becoming of you as a minister to fall asleep. Wake up. Get yourself going. You say, what do I got to do to get myself going? 
go to church. You know, there's many Christians that fall asleep because Hebrews 10.35 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's something about coming together as the body of Christ, lifting up the name of Jesus, worshiping God, that's powerful. That's uh, that, that that produces power. It says in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five and verse eleven, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do. Well, where is this done? Except it be done in the church. There's times in my spiritual walk where I've had to fight this sleep off. Times where you become a little bit distracted, more disinterested. But one of the greatest things that you can do to see to it, you say, well, I'm not a ministry gift. I'm not a watchman. Well, you have your own field in your family. Don't allow the enemy to come in and sow tares inside of your family. You say, well, what are tares represent children of the, of the wicked one? Don't allow your kids to become wicked. Don't allow your kids to be subjected to certain things. You raise your kids in the fear of God. You want your kids to see you praying. Let them see you at night interceding. Let them see you carrying your Bible around. Yeah, I have it on my iPad. No, no, no. Carry a leather Bible. Carry a Bible with you around so your kids see the Word of God, that you're not ashamed about it. Make sure they see you tithing, taking your hand of your wife, or if you're single, putting your tithe, and then tell your kids what you're doing. I'm taking 10%. I'm giving it to the Lord. Why are you doing that, Mom? Why are you doing that, Dad? Because... It's through his poverty that I was made rich. It's through his curse that I was blessed. And this is just a way that I want to worship God and say thank you. It is out of my own volition that I say thank you, Lord, for blessing me. When you do these things, your life becomes hot. Your spiritual life becomes on fire. You know, cultivate the presence of God inside your home so there's no tares that can grow up. Cultivate the power of God in your life. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Go at your house and worship God. Make sure the presence of God is in your car. Make sure the presence of God wakes you up in the morning. Keep your spiritual life hot. And one thing I say is fast. You know, a lot of people don't like to fast. They say, well, we got grace. We don't have to fast. They just don't like to fast. I can't stand fasting. But there's nothing that can produce the results for me as quick as fasting can because fasting mortifies your flesh. I know those days where I'm fasting, some food just looks so good. Oh, it's usually the day I'm fasting that they have dinner at school or somebody brings in a box of donuts. You know, I could eat a whole box myself. But there's been times where I've given in and said, I'm going to end this fast. I just can't take it anymore. And you know, the first second I take a bite of whatever it is that I eat, God doesn't condemn me. I just condemn myself because I say I, I could have been stronger than this. I could have been stronger. I could have been stronger. I, of course, finished eating it. But I'm like, why did I do that? And so I've discovered that if you can maintain your fast, you hear from God quicker. See, when you're not maintaining yourself and being spiritually sharp, you will miss it from time to time. Not just time to time. You'll miss it a lot. You approach relationships wrong. You approach people wrong. All because you didn't keep yourself sharp spiritually. You make poor decisions. And when you sharpen up, you'll look back on yourself and say, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Where was my head at when I said that to so-and-so? Why did I have such bad judgment? If you don't keep yourself sharp spiritually, you have bad judgment. And you're taking notes, write this down. The enemy takes advantage of you the moment you fall asleep. 
That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Be vigilant. The enemy himself, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You've got to stay awake. It's like when you're driving. Many times, you know, I've done late drives. I remember one time that I was driving back from school. I used to attend college. I did my undergrad in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, you know, I was driving home from college one night late at night. I got a late start. And I was getting on to 96. You take 94, but I was coming back through 96. I think 23 to 96 is the way I was taking. And I remember being on 96 just just about 25 miles from home. And I started falling asleep at the wheel. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm almost home. I'm falling asleep. Now I'm almost home. I just slapped myself. I put the air conditioning on. I blasted the music. It's about 5.30 in the morning. I'm doing everything I can to stay awake. Because many times in that last stretch, the enemy tries his best to get you to fall asleep. And then when you do, he'll take advantage of you. So stay awake. Stay alert. So he can't come in and so tears. We're going to leave off here. And we'll pick up on the parable of the tears in the wheat next week. But I want to pray for you tonight. Maybe you say, Reverend Palmer, I need deliverance. I need a healing in my body. Let me pray for you tonight and believe God that he's going to touch your body. That he's going to make you whole and make you well. Father, I thank you for every listener tonight. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over sickness, disease, darkness, and depression in every person in hearer's life tonight. I speak, Father, forgiveness over every person that repents in their heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you transform every listener tonight. I pray peace in their homes. I command people that are overtaken by the spirit of fear. Fear, go in the name of Jesus. I command disease to leave people's bodies right now. I command cancers to disappear. Cancers to go in Jesus' name. I command depression Go in the name of Jesus. I command the lies of the devil. Cease right now, Father. Father, I pray that you restore to people their eyesight. Restore to people their hearing tonight, God. I pray that pain leave people's bodies. I pray tonight, Father, that you would cause each listener to be vigilant, to hear the word of God, to apply it to their life. We worship you, Jesus, and give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, friend. Remember, you can partner with us, www.chrispalmerministries.com, or you can go and get our book, The Believer's Journey, God's Path of Transformation, on Amazon.com. We'll be back next week, 12.15 a.m., with the Transforming Truth broadcast. God bless you, and we'll see you then. Now that you've received the transforming truth of the Word of God, go deeper. Go to our website, chrispalmerministries.com. Or log on to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chris Palmer Ministries. Then partner with Chris financially at Chris Palmer Ministries, P.O. Box 403, Walled Lake, Michigan, 48390. And tune in again every Saturday night at 1215 a.m. for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer on WMUZ 103.5 FM, The Light.